Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and this week we're talking about a long-term problem that's been so difficult to solve that after 60 years of deliberation, the UK has still failed to implement a plan. We're talking about nuclear waste. In 1956, the UK began producing power from the world's first commercial-scale nuclear power plant at Calder Hall in Sellafield. This Magnox reactor became the first of 18 nuclear power stations that came online over the next four decades. And this power has been a critical part of the UK's electricity production, peaking in 1997 at 26% of our electricity generation. Since then, 11 of these stations have been decommissioned, operating well in excess of their 20-year design lives. Some have even operated for double that. And four more are set for closure over the next five years. But in all this time, and with all this experience, we've still failed to develop a successful long-term solution to our legacy of nuclear waste. The final piece of the nuclear jigsaw puzzle really is having somewhere to put the waste. And it's something that we thought about way too late in the day, I think. This is Dr Claire Corkhill. I'm a reader in nuclear materials at the University of Sheffield. Which means that Claire spends her time researching new materials for the disposal of nuclear waste. And she's worked on projects from the management of nuclear sludge at Sellafield to helping with cleanup efforts at Japan's Fukushima nuclear reactor. She also teaches students about nuclear waste and materials science. I got involved in in nuclear waste disposal really from a desire to try and clean up the mess that's been left behind. Um, I'm I'm not a particularly strong advocate for new nuclear power. I I think it should be a part of the future energy mix. But if we didn't have new nuclear power, I also, you know, wouldn't mind. But I do feel really passionately that we need to do something about the waste um, that has been left behind. Some of it not treated very well. We now look after it much better, but in the past it wasn't. So what is the legacy we have to deal with here in the UK? So at the moment we have 600,000 cubic metres of nuclear waste and so to think about what that looks like in volume um, we're almost near the top of Wembley Stadium if we were to start piling the waste up and up and up. Although some nuclear waste is generated by the medical sector and military applications the vast majority comes from our civil nuclear power programme and the radioactivity levels vary depending on how the waste was generated. The most potent, high-level waste comes from the nuclear fuel. When we've finished making energy from it, um, we need to take it out of the reactor and deal with it somehow. Now, during the reaction that creates the energy, uh, we have uh, uranium atoms. These are the main part of the fuel, and they split to create energy. And when they split, they create smaller atoms, and the smaller atoms are also very radioactive. And so this is a portion that we need to safely dispose of. And there's a couple of options either we dispose of it directly this is what Sweden and Finland do with their nuclear waste or we can reprocess it so it's a kind of recycling of nuclear waste uh, to remove the uranium and the plutonium that the fuel still contains it still contains about 95% uranium so that's really useful material that we can reuse as a fuel so to do that we go through a series of chemical processes to separate out the uranium and the plutonium from all of the other radioactive fission products these atoms that have split apart And these portions we term high-level waste. Um, The high-level waste, uh, the fission products, are extracted and um, added to a glass. The nuclear waste is basically locked into the chemical structure of the glass, a process known as vitrification. But then this in turn gives rise to another form of waste. 
the reprocessing um, or the recycling to, to turn this waste into a glass produces other wastes that we call intermediate level. So, for example, the uranium fuel rods, you can imagine a long, thin tube, about a metre long. Um, the diameter is about kind of two centimetres. It's a long metal tube and inside here are the fuel pellets. What happens is when you reprocess these radioactive materials, obviously they're very highly radioactive, so no one can touch them. There's an automated process where the long, thin tubes go through a bit like a, it's like a banana splitter in a way. It's like it's peeling the skin off a banana. You peel the skin off the fuel rods. This skin is made of stainless steel or a zircaloy cladding and this intermediate level waste also has to be contained. Um, and those metal bits, the banana peels if you like, of the fuel, um, they get mixed with the cement and put into about a 500 litre drum and that's what we term intermediate level waste. Um, it's very high volume so you imagine when you have bits of metal and you add more cement to it so you're increasing the volume um, which you then store. And then there's the low level waste which could include things like gloves or papers that came into contact with intermediate level waste during reprocessing. And this material is sent to um, what we call the low-level waste repository in Cumbria, and this is where it's disposed of in big, uh, actually in big lorry containers. Historically, we've stored these waste streams above ground, and there's over 30 such sites in the UK. But the consensus of the nuclear industry, both in the UK and overseas, is that it's safer to bury it. Over the years, many other options have been considered, though. My favourite one is shooting it into space. This is one I hear an awful lot, but when you think 25% of all space rockets explode before they reach uh, the Earth's atmosphere, uh, or they leave the Earth's atmosphere rather, um, we would then have nuclear waste sprinkled all over the Earth. Instead, after decades of deliberation, experts have agreed on what the approach should be. Experts have looked at this and they've looked at it over and over again. And again, this is not just in the UK, but it's all around the world at different options of what we can do with the waste. What, what we know is that it's not really a sensible solution to leave the waste above ground for at least the next 1000 years when it's going to be highly radioactive because it needs continual maintenance and continual looking after. We, we, don't, we just don't know what the, the population or society is going to be like in 100 years time, let alone 1000 years. So we definitely should be planning to keep it somewhere that's not above ground where it can cause harm to people. In February, the body responsible for creating a new geological disposal facility, Radioactive Waste Management, RWM, which is a subsidiary of the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority, published its final guidance for site identification. The government have a policy um, in the UK where they are actively searching right now for a community to come forward and volunteer to host a geological disposal facility. This is something that's been attempted in the past a number of times and it hasn't been successful for various reasons. The most recent rejection of a site for geological disposal was by Cumbria County Council in 2013. Plans were being investigated for an underground vault between 200 and 1,000 metres deep. But despite Copeland Borough Council voting in favour of moving to the next stage of investigation, the County Council decided to veto the scheme. But government is still pursuing plans for a GDF and hoping that another community will volunteer to host a deep-level nuclear waste repository. The process has been altered a little this time and um, what we're hoping for is that there will be a community who wants to come forward and say, yeah, okay, we'll consider having a geological disposal facility, but we, we want to know a bit more information first. From an engineering perspective, the facility won't be complex. This isn't really advanced engineering. This is, um, I mean, what we're really talking about is is digging a, a disposal facility um, to a similar depth as we would dig a mine. 
a mine shaft. Um, there are mines around the world that go much deeper than we're planning here. So, so for a geological disposal facility, we're talking around about 500 meters below the ground, maybe up to a kilometer, but but somewhere around that level. That kind of technology exists, easy peasy. We drill mines like that all of the time. And the containment, as you say, there are some really simple solutions to this that we have quite a lot of confidence that, that they'll work. Claire compares the containment to a Russian doll. So you have the nuclear waste as the smallest Russian doll in the middle. And as we've already said, um, this is a really durable material like a ceramic or a glass that we know will dissolve really slowly if groundwater gets to it. This goes inside um, a container and we can engineer that container to be made of pretty much any metal we want, any thickness that we want. In Finland, they're using um, copper containers, which are very corrosion resistant. Um, the copper layer is, is really thick. It's about 10 centimeters thick, these containers, so that the if water were to eventually get through that container, it would take a really, really long time. And then around the container will be um, what we call a backfill material or a buffer material. In most concepts that are being considered around the world, this will be clay. Um, clay is fantastic material for this purpose because it has a layered structure at the atomic level so that when water gets into those layers, it causes the layers to expand and it essentially produces a really nice tight hug around the container so that when the clay does get wet by groundwater, um, the water can only diffuse through tiny pores, these tiny layers in the clay. Then it hits the container and it's got five centimeters or 10 centimeters of copper to get through before it gets to the nuclear waste form itself. So these are the engineered parts um, of, the, of the facility. We call this the engineered barrier. And then the final part of the Russian doll system is the geology itself. So we try and choose a, a type of rock that it won't have water flowing through it. Um, it will only diffuse through it at a really low rate and then the rock itself and the, the facility is going to be several hundreds of meters below the ground so if groundwater gets through all of those layers to the waste it's going to take a really long time for it to get from the the, the repository all the way to the surface because with there's 500 meters of rock to travel through and um, so so this is the the what we call the multi-barrier concept for geological disposal Engineering is not the main challenge. The challenge is convincing a community to allow a GDF to be built beneath their land. Despite the international scientific consensus on deep disposal being the best solution, Finland is the only country to have built a repository to date. Named Onkalo, which means cavity, the 455 metre deep nuclear waste store is situated on a small uninhabited island off the west coast of the country. We're watching and learning from especially Finland and Sweden because they're far advanced compared to all the other countries. So they have a, a license to construct a facility in Finland and they've applied for a license to dispose now. They're the first country to do that. Sweden is still going through the license applications for uh, building their repository. So they're a little bit further behind. So we can learn as much as we possibly can from them, not only from the engineering perspective, but also from the regulatory perspective and the voluntary uh, community perspective as well. That The one thing that we have that's slightly different in the UK to those two examples uh, in particular, firstly, we have a much wider variety of waste. So in Finland and Sweden, they only have spent nuclear fuel. That's the only thing they're disposing of. In the UK, because we've really been the pioneers of nuclear energy in a lot of ways, we tried a lot of things. We've tried different reactors, uh, different reprocessing technologies. And so we have a really wide, diverse variety of waste that may need slightly different um, engineering solutions to the one I've just described. Um, so there's there's quite a lot of research to be done around making bespoke disposal solutions for those types of wastes. 
The bedrock of the UK is also much more varied than that of Scandinavian countries, with the complexity of the geology offering both advantages and disadvantages for locating a deep repository. Of course, as RWM continue to pursue the idea of the deep repository, waste is being treated and stored at surface level. Today, managing the waste legacy of our early Magnox nuclear power sites costs £3 billion a year, with two-thirds of this shouldered by you and me as taxpayers. The rest is generated by commercial activities of the NDA, for fuel reprocessing. Government estimates place the total cost of nuclear decommissioning at £124 billion, but note there's a huge amount of uncertainty in this number. The cost of decommissioning the second generation advanced gas-cooled reactors falls to EDF Energy through the Nuclear Liabilities Fund, and any future nuclear power will also have decommissioning costs factored in for private developers. But these costs are still uncertain because in the absence of long-term nuclear waste solutions, even new nuclear power stations are planning temporary on-site radioactive waste storage facilities. Some of the work that Claire's been involved with at Sellafield is to remediate nuclear waste that wasn't properly dealt with in the early days of our nuclear power programme. What we've been doing is to work with nuclear waste producers like Sellafield and the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority to develop new types of waste form uh, for new nuclear waste. So at Sellafield, there's a big legacy of nuclear waste, some of which has been looked after very well and some of which at the time it was generated, there was not much thought given to to how it would be treated and dealt with. So so one example um, would be nuclear fuel rods were kept in cooling ponds because they're hot, they have to be cooled for a short time before reprocessing. But at some stage in the past, the reprocessing couldn't keep up with the amount of fuel that was being generated. The fuel was left in outside, outside ponds, it corroded very badly and formed what we call a sludge at the bottom of the ponds and it's been open to the air and seagulls have been in it and all the rest. Highly reactive nuclear sludge sitting in open ponds. This sludge is kind of like a, a, a really white sludgy clay-like material. It contains bits of nuclear fuel, that high-level waste, um, that's really highly radioactive. And so there's, until we started working in this area, no real solution um, to deal with this. So what, what one example of the thing that we've been doing is to take the sludge, to dry it out, turn it into a powder and then mix it with a glass and try and develop the right glass formulation that means that we can safely incorporate the sludgy bits and the bits of fuel that are in there as well all in one waste form. And there are other problems too. So aside from the vitrified nuclear waste we're also concerned with the stockpile of plutonium that's been generated through nuclear waste reprocessing. So as I said, when we recycle the waste, we can use the uranium and plutonium to turn into new fuel. Now, in the UK, it turns out that none of the nuclear reactors we have actually want to use a plutonium-based fuel. So the plutonium is just sitting there and it keeps being generated. Um, and the problem with this is the longer it stays there, the harder it is to reuse it as a fuel. So we've been looking into methods of taking that plutonium and locking it up inside of a ceramic material. So this is um, a, something a, a little bit like what you have, what you're drinking your coffee out of. And if we lock it up inside the structure of that ceramic material, then and not only is it stable, so it's, it's not going to change anymore, it means that we can safely dispose of it without having to worry about proliferation issues, for example. But is it still radioactive? It's still radioactive, um, 
the purpose of the solidification or the immobilization is is exactly that is to keep it immobilized inside the material so instead of having it sloshing around as a liquid it's it's locked up inside of the chemical structure of the material and we call this passively safe this means that yes it's still radioactive but it's not going anywhere unless we do something else to it it's more containment and it becomes really important when we start thinking about what we're finally going to do with that waste which in the UK the policy is um, and also in other countries as well to dispose of it deep underground and if we can put it in a form that will dissolve really slowly if it does come into contact with groundwater then our job as engineers is is almost is almost done because if we can prove that the radioactivity won't be released to the environment because the waste form itself is super durable, um, then we know it's going to be safe for the really long time periods that will be underground. And we know that, for example, glass and ceramic materials will be really durable in the long term. But firstly, glass, we have examples of Roman glasses and ancient Syrian glasses that are over 4,000 years old. It's a slightly different time scale to nuclear waste, but these 4,000-year-old glasses have been in the environment all that time and they still look like vases, for example. So we know that that they have quite a good durability. And for the ceramics, there are natural minerals that have the same composition that contain uranium, natural minerals, um, that, that are billions of years old. So we have some confidence that the materials that we've, we're designing and developing will yeah. be safe in the really long term. And for Claire, this really is the ultimate goal, to solve a problem that's perplexed governments all over the world for 60 years. And she wants people to talk about it more, so much so that she's made a documentary about it. It's called We Should Be Talking About Nuclear Waste. Uh, it's available on YouTube if you just search the title. Then the reason I made it, this was funded by the Engineering Physical Sciences Research Council because I think when most people think about nuclear energy, if they think about nuclear energy, they certainly don't think about the waste that's produced. Um, most people uh, will think of nuclear waste as the green goo from The Simpsons. And so I wanted to make the documentary to really start a conversation about the fact that we have this material to describe where it comes from and what we should be doing about it. A whole generation's now gone by with no long-term solution. We're moving on timescales um, of atoms rather than biological molecules. So, so a biological molecule, we're on this earth for 60 years, whereas the atoms are going to be around for hundreds of thousands. I think, I think there's a mismatch sometimes in, um, in the timescales of things that we're dealing with. Because, because it's not a pressing, urgent need to really dispose of nuclear waste, because, you know, if we leave it for another 10 years, you know, it's not really going to make a difference in the 100,000 that it's going to be radioactive. People tend to kick it down the road. Governments work on timescales of four years, and because there's this mismatch in timescale, there is this frustration that things keep on getting kicked down the road. Um, and I, I truly hope that the kind of research in science and engineering that, that we're doing and other people around the world are really um, trying to speed this process up a little bit to say, listen, we've got the technical and engineering solutions to deal with this. We just need the politics to, to really come into line and decide that now's the time we need to do something about it. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, produced by Bernadette Ballantyne, sound engineered by Ross McPherson, edited by John Young. Our nuclear reactor is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Dr Claire Corkhill from the University of Sheffield. Engineering Matters can be found on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media.